At about 120 feet, I reached for a rock. That rock dislodged a bigger rock that came down and bam, hit me in the face and sent me hurtling down at maximum velocity onto the boulders below. Not gravel, not grass, boulders. And I landed on my face, smashed to pieces. There was nothing left of my face. Now I could tell you the gory details of what happened. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But I was dead officially and about 11 reconstructive surgeries later, this face exists, which is not the same face. Welcome to the David Paul Show, hosted by David Paul, founder of Dial Smith and Lillian Labs and the creator of Behavioral Storytelling. If you're looking for compelling conversations with some curious characters, you've come to the right place. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. This is part two of my conversation with Dove Barron. If you haven't yet heard part one, it's linked in the show notes so you can check it out first. Dedicating his career to storytelling and leadership, Dove is the best-selling author of several books, has a top-ranked podcast, and is a sought-after speaker and consultant. In this episode, Dove and I discuss the 200-foot fall that changed his life, a leadership principle Dove calls actualized leadership, and authenticity through transparency and courage. Talking about dealing with adversity, a number of years ago, you quite literally ran into a brick wall, so to speak, where you had an accident that you've written about and spoken about openly that I'm sure was transformative in your life. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that changed the trajectory of your life from there on? Yeah, people will often say, and that must have been the point that changed your life. It wasn't. And I want to explain that to people because mm. there are events that happen in our lives that are often misinterpreted. Mm. So in June, 1990, I was about as successful as I'd ever been up until that point. I was traveling the world. I was speaking all over. I had a nice big American car. That was how I knew I was successful because mm. I was born in the UK. We didn't have big American cars. Uh. And, and things just, it was feeling really great. And on a particular time, I came back from a tour, I took a few days off, and I went to a place called Whistler, which is in British Columbia, where the mm-hmm. Winter Olympics in 2010 were held. I decided that day that I would go to a place called Brandywine Falls with my buddy, which is where this glacial water comes streaming down at high velocity and jumps off the edge of a 200-foot cliff to pound on the bottom and it creates this enormous spray. It's incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. I stood at the top looking at it and I challenged my buddy and I said, let's see if we can hike down. So we did. There's no path. We hiked down about 45 mm-hmm. minutes. We get there. Then I say, because by the way, at that point in time, I was a full blown adrenaline junkie. Mm. Now, <laughs> when I say adrenaline junkie, I'm talking full blown crazy ass stuff. And that's what I was doing. So I was like, let's see if we can get behind the waterfall. Now that water is falling with such velocity that if you put your hand into it, it would rip your arm off. Mm -hmm. And I said, let's see if we can get behind. We're not dressed for this. We don't have the right shoes on. Mm -hmm. We've got to fight a 70 mile an hour wind to get across mossy rocks to see if we can get behind. Well, we do. And there's about a three foot gap and it's like full of negative ions. And it's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you come out on the other side. I'm like, I'm Superman. (laughs) I can do anything. (laughs) So I said to my buddy, let's not hike back. And he's like, what are we going to do? Take the elevator? I go, no, 
there is no elevator, by the way. <laughs> I said, let's free climb. Now, I, if you don't know what free climbing is and you think mountain climbing is a bit crazy, it's not. You've got ropes, you've got safety lines, you've got all kinds of gear. Free climbing is a little crazier because you don't have the ropes and the safety lines and all those other things. But you do have the right clothing on and you have some chalk. <laughs> what is really insane is trying to do that in the wrong shoes while mm -hmm. soaking wet. And that's what we began to do. Oh, boy. At about 120 feet, I reached for a rock. That rock dislodged a bigger rock that came down and bam, hit me in the face and sent me hurtling down at maximum velocity onto the boulders below. Not gravel, not grass, boulders. Mm. And I landed on my face, smashed to pieces. There was nothing left of my face. Now I could tell you the gory details of what happened. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. but I was dead officially and about 11 reconstructive surgeries later, this face exists, which is not the same face. I got smashed to pieces. But one of the things I'd like to point out here is everybody thinks that's the moment that changed my life. The recovery yeah. was reasonably fast, probably a year physically because I was in wicked good shape, but psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, it was much longer. And so when people say to me how I'd go, I'm great, I'm coming back with my jaw wired closed. Mm -hmm. I wasn't great. I wasn't coming back because there is no back. Life doesn't go backwards. It only moves forwards. And mm -hmm. so when you say I'm, gonna, I'm coming back, you're hanging on to something that doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And so every, I'd every now and then I'd go out with my buddies and I'd have a night out and I'd be miserable. I think, what is wrong with me? I don't even know how to laugh anymore. And then on one particular night, I went out with my mates and I had a good laugh. Hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm coming back. Hmm. That night I came home and I opened the back door and the light from outside festooned across the, across the kitchen. And there was garbage everywhere. There was kitty litter, there was cans, there was meat packages. It smelled horrible. And I knew exactly who the culprit was. I'd gone from pure joy and feeling like I'm coming back to pure rage. I was infuriated. I knew who it was, I knew the culprit was, and I was looking to kill the culprit. Mm -hmm. Kill. I marched around the house and I got into the living room. And in the living room, there curled up on the couch, all comfy, was the culprit. I raised my hand to strike, but I'm not a violent person. Mm -hmm. Halfway down, the rage had faded enough for me to remember, this is not who I am. I put mm -hmm. my hands down and scooped up my cat in my arms, brought that cat to my chest and realized it was stone cold. It was dead. I fell to my knees and I began to sob, not for the cat. It took me a couple of minutes to realize I wasn't sobbing for the cat. I was sobbing for the life that was gone. Mm -hmm. And it was that moment mm -hmm. that was the turning point. Because there is a pivotal moment, which is when I fell off the mountain. As I like to say, I fell 120 feet from a self-imposed pedestal and landed on my ego. Mm -hmm. That was the catalytic pivotal moment. But the choice point is that moment where it feels like everything can go back to normal and you choose not to go to normal. So that moment of being on the floor in my knees, feeling like it could all go back to normal and then realizing I can't do this. There is no back. I got that. 
Mm-hmm. I could stay where I am. That's incredibly seductive to feel like a victim. I don't really have to try so hard. Well, there was a third option, which is to find out why I am here on this planet and step fully into that. That was the transformational moment. That was the moment that took. And that didn't happen quick. That was hard work. It was therapy. It was journaling. It was meditating. It was painful, but it created this, me, and the difference I'm committed to make. And when you look back, incredible story, by the way, told passionately, and thank you for being open and willing to share that with people. Hopefully some people will, will benefit from hearing that story. Prior to that, it's you had said something like you were at the pinnacle of your career, top of the world, everything was great, perfect. Comparing that to where you are now. <laughs> yeah. How would you relatively speaking describe the time pre-accident to once you got through all of the shit and gotten yourself to where you are today, how do those two things compare? That's interesting. I never even thought about that before. There's no comparison. None at all. So I was successful. Uh, Like I said, a nice car, lived in a nice house, had plenty of money. Sure. The depth of my soul was not there. The depth of my relationships was not there. So all of those things didn't matter. Am I successful now? Yes, I'm very successful. I do great work with wonderful people. I work with some of the best in the world at what it is they do. Athletes, entertainers, leaders, CEOs, ambassadors, whatever it is. I work with all these people, but it's not from the same drivers anymore. Mm-hmm. So this, for me, there's no comparison. And besides yeah. which, back in those days, I wasn't married. And I don't know where I would be without my bride, my queen. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I, we've had, we had conversation about this recently. And I said, I'm pretty certain that if I'd have met you before I fell, I would have done a great job at getting rid of you. Because <laughs> I just yeah. didn't have the depth that I needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing story. So again, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'd like to shift gears to one other major topic in your work. We've Mm. talked a lot about um, storytelling. I'm really also interested in talking about leadership. Mm -hmm. I know is a a passion of yours and something you do a ton of work around. Yeah. Um, Reading about you and I was reading about how you talk about how leadership is not a position and you tout what you call actualized leadership, or perhaps that is a thing that I wasn't uh, aware of prior. So take us through that a little bit and how you position those things and how you go about teaching them. Thank you. First of all, we have to use the reference point of leadership in the traditional form, which has been up until fairly recently, command and control. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I'm the leader. Do as I say, not as I do. It doesn't require integrity of any kind. It requires authority. And unfortunately, we still live in the shadow of that. There's still some of it, of course, it's clinging on by its by its fingernails. And if you, the problem with it is if you were brought into leadership by that kind of a leader, then that's probably the kind of leadership you're going to do unless you decide to do something better. Mm-hmm. The problem is that millennials are now 40 years old at their oldest, mm-hmm. right? 41 years old today as mm-hmm. we record this. So what does that mean is millennials have got fantastic bullshit meters. They are not interested in working in a command and control environment. 
So you have to learn how to lead without being a command and control leader. So what does that mean? Number one. So let's just start with this. If you were a command and control leader, you were trained to believe that showing any weakness, any vulnerability, any mm. chink in your armor, not mm. knowing the answer is fatal. You're dead in the water. They'll take you out. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely wrong. If you have to lead today, you have to lead from a place of service and vulnerability. I'm here to serve, but I don't necessarily have all the answers. Therefore, I have to ask the questions. My job is to certainly, as the leader, is to move you towards an outcome, to get you involved in a vision and a movement that we're creating, because it is a movement. My, my, part of my job, though, is to show you that I am doing what I'm asking you to do. I don't have the right to ask you what to do, what I'm not willing to do. So when I say it's important that we're collaborative and we ask each other questions, but I don't bother, everybody goes, well, that's not true. Mm-hmm. They're listening. They're listening to your behavior as well yeah. as your words. So the next thing about that is you've got to be vulnerable with yourself, not with others, with yourself first. You've got to get to know you. Hence, we're back at the beginning of our conversation. What do you need to know about yourself that needs to be revealed? Then you reveal that to them. So people think about this vulnerability. It's wonderful work that, for instance, Brene Brown has done. We've been talking about vulnerability for 30 years. Brene Brown's brought it to the surface, and it's fantastic that she's done that. But people misunderstand it. So they think, so they do a couple of things. They do either faux vulnerability, F-A-U-X, which is, this will sound vulnerable, so I'll say this. But there's no emotional content in it. And everybody can tell it's just your story. You're not connected. Or they do the other kind of vulnerability, which is emotional vomit which nobody wants. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants you to tell you the emotional vomit of your life. Mm -hmm. They want to know what's relevant to them. As a leader, your job is to deliver the vulnerability and pay attention to the reciprocity of that. So you deliver a small chunk and you watch what you get back. That tells you whether to go further or to hold. And you only deliver a little bit at a time and you build on that. Now, people go, I don't know if that works. And I'll say, okay, so is it important as a leader that you have loyalty? They go, yes. Has that been a problem for leaders to try and keep your top people? Yes. Okay. That's why I wrote the book, Fiercely Loyal. Fantastic. So now let me ask you this question. Can you imagine in your mind right now, can you picture in your mind right now, someone you've known who is a dear, loyal friend that you've known for, let's say, five years or about five years. You could probably picture somebody. Okay, great. This is a dear, loyal, trusted friend. Yes. Okay. On the other side, I want you to imagine somebody you've known for about the same amount of time who is merely an acquaintance. You go, okay, good, got them, fantastic. Now let me ask you a question. What's the difference? Often people, that's why I gave you time, because often people say the same amount of time. No, it's not. We just said the same amount of time. So what's the difference? What makes this one a loyal, trusted friend and this Mm -hmm. one an acquaintance? The answer is vulnerability, reciprocal vulnerability. My my very unsophisticated term for that is they know your shit and you know theirs and neither of you are willing to use it against them. Mm. They just know you're willing to let them in. But you didn't 
likely get to there right away. It took time and there was a reciprocity. There was a path being taken step by step with each other. So if you're a leader, you've got to bring your team around you and you've got to share at that vulnerable level, but not, like I said, not puking it all on them. Just give them a little bit. Let them give you a little bit step by step. And as that vulnerability builds between you, the loyalty increases as the Mm. loyalty increases, people will want to be there for you to deliver what it is you want. Not because a paycheck is important, although that is, but because they care about you. If you don't love your people, someone else will. What is love? It's vulnerability. Mm. It's reciprocal vulnerability. If you're not really in love with anybody until you have that vulnerability. That's why in the beginning of a relationship, we go, I can't believe I'm telling you this. I've never told anybody. And then you tell them. And then they go, oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with me. That vulnerability is what bonds us. Yeah, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about my own experience. I can see the Um, coke standing. Yeah, as a leader. And I'm also thinking about other people that I know, some of which have been tremendously successful leaders. Others have struggled with it. There is definitely a lot of truth to what you're saying. I wouldn't have thought of it. I, I think of it as things that are more superficial, openness and communication, and of course, caring. And all of those are, all of those are important, but they all sit under the surface of, of vulnerability. That's really what, really what drives every adjective that I can think of that makes a successful leader bubbles up to that macro topic. And all those things you just said are great, but here's what, I mean, in the end, this is like back to story and back to how to communicate with people. Mm -hmm. All those things are great, but guess what? They're all generalities that people go, yeah, okay, we got to care. All right. Nobody's really listening to that. Yeah. Nobody's because everybody can check the box. I'm working with a family right now, a multi-generational family of multi-generational wealth. And on their wall, they say transparency. Right? We've got to, it's one of our highest values is transparency. I asked each person one question, never got any transparency. I go, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you put on the wall. It's what you're walking and talking. So we've all got these right words like transparency and caring and communication and innovation. It doesn't mean anything. Meaning is subjective. So why am I saying all of these things? Because here's what it comes down to. You, me, we are driven by subjective meaning. If you can't tap into the meaning a human being has, they'll never fully engage with you. They'll never fully buy in. They'll never fully step into being the amazing people there. And what's more is they'll never fully have the courage and permission to step into their full potential. That is led by you, not by having the right word on the wall or even in your brochure, Mm -hmm. but by genuinely demonstrating what that is. That's why it matters so much. So you're absolutely right. All those things are actually capped off with the way into caring through vulnerability. The way into communication through vulnerability, the way into innovation is actually through vulnerability. Yeah. And vulnerability is hard for people. And as you said earlier in the conversation, there's an ego component to that, that a lot of people simply can't get out of the way of in order to allow that vulnerability to come through. 
I will push back a bit on that by saying when you say they can't, they can. Okay. Yeah. They they lack. Oftentimes they lack lack uh, the courage. Sure. But more often it's not even courage. It's the safety. Yeah. So if you are a leader who is trying to get the people you lead, who are also in leadership positions, to step into that, and they're not doing it, it's not safe for them to do it. So the question becomes, how can you make it safe for them? Mm-hmm. If you're not demonstrating it, it's not safe for them. So yeah. I, I find that everybody can, but not everybody has the environment, the milieu to be in mm-hmm. it, which is to say, is it safe? Is it safe? Yeah. And this is why I say reciprocal vulnerability that is metered out. Don't just vomit it on. Just give yeah. a little bit and then wait for it. Tell me about what is that like for you? Does anything like that happen for you? Yeah. Oh. Then we get, oh, and then there's that building. Yeah, I'm glad you said the word safe. I've often thought about that in in business as I've moved throughout my career, the importance of when I didn't feel that I was in a safe place and the state that that put me in and then how to create that safe place for others. But again, not to do it in a trite way where safe becomes a word that doesn't matter. Exactly. How to make it authentic, which I guess is also a word that probably doesn't matter. But I I think safety is is a really important concept in this regard. And thank you for for reiterating that because it is so important. So again, we talked about these ideas around vulnerability. And I said, but when we come to safety, let's go to the next piece of that, which is this, that safety is subjective. So what makes Susie feel safe is not what makes Bob feel safe. What makes Bob feel safe is not what makes Gladys feel safe. So you have to be, you have to coach that. You have to find that out about your people. Mm-hmm. So just in, in Fiercely Loyal, in my book, Fiercely Loyal, I talk about rewarding people. And if you reward everybody by giving them $100 to Amazon and half of your staff hate Amazon, that's not going to go. You give them you know, coffee vouchers and half of them don't drink coffee. What that says is to the people who drink coffee, it's, oh, that's great. To the other people, it's, you don't give a shit about me. Mm-hmm. You don't even know that I don't like coffee. So that's, so it's the same thing with safety. What makes somebody feel safe is entirely subjective and you have to take the time to find that out. You have to take the time to actually inquire. When do you feel unsafe, Bob? Mm -hmm. When do you feel psychologically unsafe? When do you feel psychologically just like you could just spread your wings? Oh, I never knew that. That's good to know. And you have to note that, pay attention to that, and be able to provide that. And a lot of leaders will say, no, I'm time for that. You don't have time not to do it. You don't. If you want yeah. to stay in business, you don't have time not to do it. That's that. What you just said is what I was hearing as you were describing it, that clearly what you talk about is leadership is not, it's not one to many. It's not one size fits all. To be an effective leader, you really have to put in the work to care about and understand everyone that you are in a position to lead. Absolutely. And what we call it in the book, in Fiercely Law, I call it become a CRO. Whether you're the janitor or the CEO, you need to add CRO to your title. And it stands Mm -hmm. for Chief Relationship Officer. You have to make relationships primary. 
And that that can't be done as a gen, as a generic thing. You have to find out. Now, leadership is both. It is macro and it is micro. The micro is I'm going to have a relationship with this person and find out about them. But I also have to convey a story, a purpose, a set of values, maxims, what's non-negotiable inside of our organization, what is the bigger purpose of why we're doing this. I also have to convey that at a very large level mm -hmm. so that everybody is engaged with that and cares deeply. And we're full circle back to storytelling. You got it. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I was recently asked a question that I thought was really nice. It had never been asked of me this way before. And so I'd like to ask it of you. And that question that I was asked is, what's giving you energy now? What's giving me energy right now? I would say right now, as in this very moment, what's giving me energy is the opportunity to share. It's what always gives me energy, the opportunity to potentially impact the life of someone else. Part of my purpose contains this phrase, which is to impact the lives of those whose names I will not know and whose name, who's, who may never know my name. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's listening to this podcast, maybe they're not the kind of people who give us feedback. Maybe it just impacts their life mm -hmm. or maybe they will tell us, but they'll also tell their grandchild and that grandchild doesn't need to know my name. So that sense of impacting the lives of others, of lifting people up is very important to me, but not from a place of motivation but from a place of inspiration, in spiritus, which comes from Latin to draw out. Mm. And what I want to draw out is the soul and the courage of that human being to mm. go out into the world and do something that is true to them, not to me, to them. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. So for those who want to learn more about your work, what are the best ways for them to do that? Thank you for asking. I appreciate that. You can, uh, of course, go to my website, which is D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com, DoveBaron.com. You can find out more about me there. You can also find us on YouTube. Like I said, 700 videos there. You can also find us on the Dragon's Den, where there's a certain chap called David Paul, who also is a contributor. Dragon's Den is outlet on Medium. It's a publication on there. And of course, Twitter, LinkedIn, all those kinds of places are easy to find if you Google me everywhere. And the other thing I'm going to say to you is this, whether you want to work with me or not, or want to find out if it's possible to work with me or not, I want to challenge you if that's okay. And what I'm going to challenge you to do is this, I'm going to give you my private email, dov at dovbaron.com, dov at dovbaron.com. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to write to me and CC David because we want to know what did you get out of this? And more importantly, what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. Information is worth the whole and donut. Transformation comes from application. What are you going to do with it? David takes the time to find great guests for the show to come on who valuable information, valuable guests who get paid many thousands of dollars an hour to come here and deliver to you this valuable information. So he needs to know that you got value out of it. Write to him. Tell him what you got out of it. Go on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to the podcast. 
rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And don't hoard. Be abundant. Share the show with everybody else. Not just this episode. I'm talking about David's show. Share it with others. Write to him. Tell him what you got out of this show with me. Write to me. I want to know that, what you're going to do with it and get it out there. Let's make a difference. Let's tap into people's souls. Let's bring them back to their their really deeply soulful story that can allow them to make a difference in the world because you've got that in you. I believe in you. There is magnificence in all of us. We just find the courage to bring it forward. Thank you very much for that. I do thrive on feedback, as do you. It's often it's often hard to come by. And I don't always make the emphatic ask that you just made on both of our behalf. So I'm glad that you did. I appreciate that. And I hope that we do hear from people. I would love to know how we've been able to reach and help some people with this conversation today. Me too. I'm really grateful to be here. Grateful to serve in any way. And I really hope that you did find value in this and that you will share it. Personally, I did for sure. And I can't thank you enough for making some time for us. This was a great conversation. Learned a lot and you delivered a lot of value. So you delivered on that promise for sure. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. It was my pleasure and honor. Thanks so much for listening. You can find all our episodes by searching The David Paul Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.